Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be able to gather together like this as your children and worship you in the unity of the faith. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who made this all possible. We thank you for giving him up for our sake. We thank you that he was willing to lay down his own life for our sake so that those of us who repent and trust in him have eternal life as a gift which he purchased for us on the cross. Father, we ask that you bless this message tonight. Guide us by your Holy Spirit and help us be open and humble to what you have to reveal to us tonight. We want to do your will, Father, and not our own. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue this series on the Lord is our confidence, we've been talking lately about good parenting, uh, parenting, <laughs> well, parenting is, good parenting and spiritual fathers as well and how deep those analogies run. Hopefully you've caught, caught into that, how deep those analogies run. It's almost like God designed life this way. It's almost like it was meant to be this way. And these relationships are indicators and teaching us about God as our Father. As we know, the Lord Jesus said, a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So we're going to start there. Please turn in your Bibles to John 10, 11. John 10, verse 11. The Lord told us the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's just how it is. If someone's a good parent, for example, good shepherd, uh, depends on the situation. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That right there is the heart and the lifestyle of a good shepherd. And by analogy, a good father. Look at the translation on the board in the message in John 10:11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself sacrifices himself if necessary. That puts a little more investment in our face, doesn't it? This is analogous to a good father or good parents laying down their lives for their children. And what we see in either, either situation, either type of parenting or fatherhood, is a supernatural, unselfish love. Supernatural, unselfish love. So much so that a good parent would actually choose to die if it was necessary to save the life of their child. How do you explain that as coming from man? Obviously, we know it's supernatural, something that only God could build in an intimate relationship like that with parents and children, for example. So it really is unexplainable. And this kind of love only comes from God. And may we pray that unbelievers see this, you know, things like the birth of a child. How an unbeliever sees the birth of a child and is unwilling to see or admit that that's a miracle, that it's far beyond them. But we pray that God opens people's eyes to see this kind of love, this type of love is totally foreign to man, especially sinful man. So as we've seen, Paul was happy to be spent for the sake of his little children, his sons in the faith. And at the end of his life, we saw what may have been his final declaration about his Christ-like love that he possessed. Turn again to 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. The Spirit wanted us to take one more look at this, even though we've seen it twice. It's a wonderful picture of what God's love looks like. 
God's love is sacrificial, the world's is not. 2 Timothy 4.6 For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So we saw this word for poured out on the board, spendo in the Greek, means to pour out as a libation, for example, figuratively, to devote one's life or blood as a sacrifice. Spend, be ready to be offered. Sounds like a parent's life, you know, uh, from what I understand. I can't say from personal experience. But people will say, you literally have to just be willing to offer up your life. It's no longer your life. Amen, parents? Anybody? You ready, guys? It's no longer your life. Literally, you almost don't have a choice that you have to give up your own life. So this is intimate. This was Paul's attitude towards what he did for the children of God. Poured himself out. And he did this willingly. You know, this wasn't like something he was forced to do. He followed the heart of Christ within him and was led to do this thing, just to give himself up as Christ sacrificed himself for Paul. Reminds me of uh, Romans 12.1, which we're going to get to near the end of the lesson tonight. But Paul had a certain beautiful willingness to give up his life for his sheep. And as we can see, this is a supernatural love Paul possessed, and it came from the Lord. The God-man, Jesus Christ, lived out his astounding, unselfish love for all of us. Lived it out to the fullest to the last moment, his whole life, selfless. And as such, we believers, Paul included, but us included also, we believers are granted the power to love others in the same way. We are granted this supernatural power to love others in the same way, which Paul showed was possible for someone other than Jesus, right? Paul showed this was possible, to live in this type of love, selflessly. Once again, we have the power to love because he first loved us. That's where we get this power. As long as we think of that, as long as we think of him and how he first loved us, as disgusting and wretched and rebellious as we were, he still loved us. That gives us the power to live a life like Paul lived. So back to Paul, he was a shepherd anointed by God to be that, to be a shepherd, to live that life and have that calling. And as we heard on Sunday, this is a unique gift given to the church because it involves the burden of leading the sheep in love. Quite a calling, quite a heavy calling. It involves holding the local church together, united in Christ's love, Intent on one purpose, as Paul would also write. Turn to uh, Philippians 2, verse 2. Well, actually, you know what? Don't turn there. Take a break. <laughs> I have this on the board for you. This was the shepherd's heart. This was Paul again pleading with the Philippian sheep. Okay? He, he had a lot of sheep. He had sheep in different churches, right? Paul established these churches. And his heart was just with them because he had Christ's love. Look at Philippians 2, 2, and 3. He wrote, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That really was our message on Sunday with spiritual gifts, really being for other people. Paul revealed this that he wrote by his life and in his life. And he was hoping that his sheep, his little children in Philippi, would follow suit, would follow his example. What Paul revealed by his life was that the gifts from the Spirit are meant to be used for the sake of others. It's totally for the sake of others. It's totally to 
help others build others up, maybe even save their lives, quote unquote. It might involve eternal life. It might involve just saving one's life from quitting, you know, to whatever degree and whatever way you want to think about that. The gifts of the Spirit are meant to be used for others. Um, and something to think about is a lot of times people can be on their last rope spiritually. Um, I know I've had a couple times in my life I can remember where I was just at this place. It wasn't a good place. It was a place you wanted to quit. It was a place you wanted to give up, um, lose hope, throw in the towel, whatever you want to say. And someone came in and encouraged me at just the right time. Or it changed my perspective. Obviously, my perspective was off. And you just never know um, who and, you know, when you're using your gift to impact somebody that way. But if you're using your spiritual gift for selfish reasons or forgetting about others, how many people, you know, might miss out or be hurt by that lack of proper perspective? The spiritual gifts are for others. The spiritual gifts are for everybody else. And guess what? You get to take advantage of everyone else's spiritual gifts. They, they are for you, at least in part, so that we get built up. It's not like you're giving out all this energy and this effort and you're not going to get anything back. We're going to talk about that a little bit later too. But Paul revealed this by his life. God's gifts are for others. And that's why Paul you know, was spent, poured himself out for others. So, as we heard on Sunday, a young believer might hear about spiritual gifts, and because of his immaturity, he might immediately gravitate towards the most attractive one to him or the most popular one. He might be selfish and listen to the flesh, as it might still have a hold on him experientially. But the person, the believer who's been in the Word, and not just been in the Word, but as we've been learning, how you've been in the Word, how you seek, what your intent and your attitude is, right? The one who has humbly been seeking the truth realizes the gifts the Spirit gives are for the edification of the church and not for himself. That's God's call upon our lives. On all of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that's God's call in our lives. Come on, come with me, take this gift, and go help others like I helped you. Go save others like I saved you. It's really, really simple, and it's also really freeing if we live for others, as we know. One of the secrets to enjoying the freedom of Christ. Just totally living for others, almost like a reckless abandon for self totally disconcerned with self-preservation even and letting God take care of you. But that's God's call in our lives, everybody. This is like a, a big call, a wonderful call, a call that actually has a lot of impact on the lives of others, whatever your gift is. If you live in it selflessly, it's going to be reflecting the love of Christ and change people's lives. And that's what we have to focus on. So as believers, we get an opportunity to pass on the love of Christ through the gifts we've been graciously granted. And opportunity is the word. Once again, it's all about having the right perspective. On the board, this came out on Sunday, perspective on spiritual gifts. The gift is to the church, the body of Christ. It is a gift to the bride, from her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Your spiritual gift or gifts is not about you. It is about your benefit to the church for others. And maybe for some of you, you know, this totally changed your viewpoint on spiritual gifts. But it's a wonderful perspective to grab onto. As we've noted, the Corinthians took the selfish point of view regarding spiritual gifts, as many superficial American believers have made it about themselves also. They look at the church as a business and try to rise in the ranks as though they're in some big corporation and they have to make their way and show their stuff. 
they seek to get promoted for personal gain because their perspective is wrong. Their perspective is not that on the board. Their perspective is not Paul's, which was, I pour myself out willingly for the sake of others. A lot of American believers, um, their heart's not right. It's not a servant's heart, which is what we're supposed to possess and supposed to live in. So obviously it's pretty disgusting when you think about people taking a spiritual gift and looking at it, looking at it as a means of self-elevation within the church and some kind of glorification of self. It's obviously pretty sad and pretty gross. But that's the flesh getting in the way. That's what happens when you don't have good teachers and good shepherds also who stick to the word and, and have Christ's heart. As we also noted on Sunday, a perfect and very dangerous example of this problem is with pastors. Uh, some that claim they have the gift, but they look at the church as a business or a way to grow or a way to be successful personally. And these men are not ordained by God to serve and shepherd a flock. Instead, they're in it for personal gain and they have selfish motivations. Now, this is between each man and God. But the Bible says, and Jesus says, we can know them by their fruits. So we are to pay attention for these types of people, these types of messages that people are giving, uh, teachers and pastors might be giving, where they're building up self instead of looking out for everyone else. We have to keep on high alert, as we'll again review in a moment. Now, some pastors may have good hearts, but as came out on Sunday, maybe they have a different gift. Maybe they have a gift of teacher or evangelist and not a shepherd. So maybe they're just confused about the difference, and because their heart is good, God will show them in due time where they should be or how they should be using their gift or what it is. But again, if someone stands in the post of a pastor or a shepherd and isn't living for other people, that's a clear indication it's not a promotion from God. So that's why the Bible often warns us against false prophets. Again, beware. Spiritual gifts are given by God, no one else. If the fruit of a person's efforts is always directed towards themselves, chances are the claims made are void of godly substance. So that's kind of like one of the main characteristics we'd look for. You know, as we're trying to maybe evaluate a teacher or a pastor, it might be for your own purposes or the purposes of someone you love who's going to a certain church. Um, are, they, are their efforts, do they seem to be directed to themselves, building up themselves, gaining for themselves in some way? The Bible warns us specifically in the area of shepherding, so we're going to quickly visit these verses again. Uh, turn to 1 John 4, verse 1. 1 John 4, 1. Again, pay attention to these descriptions. Obviously, the Spirit is bringing this up to us for a reason so that we can recognize these men and it may save you or a friend of yours from deception one day. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So right here we're given permission, even a command maybe, I'd have to look at the Greek, but we're told to test the spirits to see whether they're from God. In other words, just don't take whatever somebody says as, you know, their honorable intentions automatically. Don't take it naively, automatically, that someone's in it for the right reasons. In fact, test the spirits. Remember the Bereans, they went back to the Word of God to check up on what was being taught, to make sure it was in the Word of God, and that they agreed with the teaching. So this is a very healthy thing to come to our own convictions, but also to guard against deceivers. So again, in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many. Turn to 2 Peter 
2, verse 1. 2 Peter 2, 1. The Bible talks a lot about false prophets and teachers. 2 Peter 2, 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Go to 2 Corinthians 11.13. 2 Corinthians 11.13. So as we read, keep, keep a, a note of the characteristics that you see as well. What do you see as a description of these false prophets? 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Servants of righteousness. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew 7, I never knew you, depart from me? What did the people say before he said that? They said, didn't we do these good things in your name? So they claim to be, what we see right here in verse 15, servants of righteousness. But as it says at the end of this verse, their end will be according to their deeds. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But they will disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You see what's happening? Do you see like someone is really a deceiver and lawless, but acts like or puts on a front like a righteous person, a righteous shepherd, etc. So we have to look out for the act, I guess we might say. Go to 1 Timothy 6.3. 1 Timothy 6.3. If anyone, talking about false teachers, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of, of gain. So there's another characteristic or description of these false teachers at the end there. They suppose that godliness, acting spiritual, might we say, acting the part, means a, is a means of personal gain. So on the board, again, beware. Matthew 7, 15 Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's what we were just talking about a minute ago. On the outside, they appear righteous. They have sheep's clothing on, but inwardly they are unrighteous. They are out for self. Ravenous wolves. And Jude 4 for certain persons, false teachers have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. 
So they would see another description, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. So, again, beware. This main point here, spiritual gifts are given by God, no one else. If the fruit of a person's efforts is always directed towards themselves, chances are the claims made are void of godly substance. The Bible warns us specifically in the area of shepherding. It is dangerous and ugly when one functions outside their spiritual gift, whatever the spiritual gift is. It's a worldly or fleshly thing and results in bad fruit. And it also results in hurting people. And it's a struggle for that person to top it off. How many of you, you know, can relate whenever you've tried to put on a front to put a, portray a certain image towards certain people or a certain situation? It's a struggle. It's like so unenjoyable. It's like having a mask on that's uncomfortable, which is basically what it is. And someone trying to operate in a spiritual gift that's not theirs is going to struggle and be miserable. It's not going to be something they flourish in as is meant to be by the power of the Spirit. Your true spiritual gift from God is something that you will flourish in, that you will be good at, to use a human term, something that will be natural for you, um, wonderful for you, if it's from God. But otherwise, people force it, and they suffer as well, not just those that are around them. So the side effect of forcing a spiritual gift, let's say, is that there's now like an infection in the church. Uh, someone living in the flesh in disguise of the spirit. Someone who in the end is going to hurt people instead of help people. So this is where and how many believers become wounded in the church uh, by those who said one thing but did another, basically. By those that put on an act or, or lived in a certain gift, supposedly, for selfish gain. And wounds take time to heal. We're better off if you know that you're in this category or you know um, you've been, you know, forcing something spiritually, you're better off repenting and turning around now for your own sake and for the sake of those that might be harmed by you forcing it. So let's remember it's only the spirit of the Lord that gives gifts to man. They can't be fabricated or constructed by selfish desires. On the board, the Lord is our confidence. This came out on Sunday. We must be confident in His choices, never man's. We must be confident in His choices, never man's. That goes when applying it to ourselves, but also when we're on the lookout for false prophets, for example. Look for His choice. God is the one who appoints man to certain gifts of service. And that's exactly what they are. They're gifts of service. That's what the false prophets have missed. They think their post that they grabbed is to their gain and that others are now to serve them. But when God gives a gift to someone, it's the other way around. Look at Jesus. Look at Paul. When God gives a gift to someone, it's the other way around. It is this supernatural, selfless, beautiful love that is unexplainable. Their heart is overwhelmed with the opportunity to serve the body of Christ, whatever the gift is that someone's given. And as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, when the Lord compelled me to just close my Bible while starting to read, look what Paul wrote in Romans 1, 1 part A in the ESV. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And he goes on to describe more about himself, an apostle, called to be an apostle, etc. But how's he started out? What is his heart? His heart is overwhelmed by the fact that the Lord saved him and now he's the chance to pass on that ridiculous love that he didn't deserve. 
Spiritual gifts are given by Christ to allow us to participate in serving his children. We ourselves are his children, right? So here you are receiving a gift and told to go serve his children, but yet we ourselves are his children at the same time. But Jesus, if you want to picture him this way, even as your father, he says, go serve the other children in our family. I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to give you this platter. If you want to look at it like a big dinner party, I'm going to give you this food to go serve. You go serve this. I'm going to give someone else the bread, someone else the wine, someone else the, the meat, someone else something else, and you're going to get served too. But your job, son, daughter, is go serve this to the rest of our family. And that's like a healthy, right perspective. That's the beauty of being a servant of Christ and receiving a spiritual gift that we have no business operating in on our own. And if each and every one of us did this, just think about this. If each and every person in the church performed or lived out their spiritual gift with a servant's heart, not only would there never be a need in the church, but there would be tremendous joy and love like this world has never seen before like you've never experienced before. If we all followed our callings, embraced our callings selflessly. We can do it. We got the power. Just stop denying it. Stop putting it aside, right? We've got the power to love like Christ because he loved us first. Just takes us getting out of the way. And see what he does. Totally try Again, put self on the shelf, right? Totally try to get yourself out of the way and be like, this is my gift. You know, when I pray now before, you know, service and everything, my prayer is, Lord, get me out of the way and fill me with your spirit. Control me with your spirit right now. That's my prayer. Because I know I'm an idiot and I can sneak in the way and all this arrogance and things like that. Lord, fill me with your spirit. I, I ask you, I beg you, fill me with your spirit. Control me right now. And that... We can do with any spiritual gift, whatever it is. It takes what? Willingness? Willingness to obey your calling? To look at yourself like Paul looked at himself as a servant of Christ Jesus first? And then watch what happens in your life and the life of others. We could be functioning in such a wonderful way together uh, with his every need is met because everyone's going around doing their, their role. It's hard to even describe, but it would be truly wonderful, wouldn't it? And that's how it's meant to be. That's how it's been designed to be. And we can function that way. And the reason there's so much happiness that's going to go around in that circumstance is because everyone's focused on giving, not receiving. Again, on the board. The gift is to the church, the body of Christ. It is a gift to the bride from her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Your spiritual gift is not about you. It's about your benefit to the church for others. As we noted, Paul had to instruct and even rebuke the Corinthians at times to teach them the right perspective about these gifts. The, the gifts that the Corinthians received went to their heads. And then they started thinking there was something good about them and they were enjoying the power of the gift to their own edification, not to others. So turn again to 1 Corinthians 12, 1. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. This is a wonderful, chock-full passage about spiritual gifts and how to look at it. And the context just, you know, is so valuable. So again, perspective is everything. How do you look at your spiritual gift? Even if you don't know what it is yet, how do you look at your spiritual gift or gifts? What's your perspective? 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And here was the main evidence from Sunday for us all to chew on in verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Your spiritual gift is not about you. It's about others. It's about benefiting and building up the church, the body of Christ. Again, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Notice whose will is involved in distributing a gift to you. It's God's. It's not from our self-will. That would be a false gift or a gift out of God's timing at the very least. It's God's will that grants gifts to men. And we must listen for his whisper and his conviction in our hearts. Again, this isn't about what gifts we might think are cool or practical or self-advantageous. This isn't about seeking what we think we'll be good at, which is what the flesh immediately goes to, right? Oh, I'm normally good at this, so maybe I should be doing that. And that is a human rationale way of seeking out your gift. What is it about? It's about submitting to the Lord and His Spirit. It's about submitting once again. It's about obeying His call on your life, whatever that call is. It could be different for every single person in the church. Even if you have the same gift as another person in the church, it could be different than that person's gift. What, what do we just read about in verses 4 through 6? A variety of gifts, a variety of ministries, a variety of effects. So we're talking about God's will and accepting it. We're talking about submitting humbly, not resisting. It's about letting Him choose for you, not choosing according to your fleshly strengths in the world. Amen? Like, are, are, are we willing to accept that from the heart? Are we willing to accept whatever He shows us? We really should be, because in the end, it's for our own happiness, too. It's for our, our own edification and enjoyment as well. But it's not about us and our opinions about what we're good at. It's about what He wants you to do. And don't forget, He purposely chooses the weak to shame the strong. He purposely chooses the foolish to shame the wise. So if he goes by your strengths, guess what? Well, that's not going to do any good, shaming the wise or shaming the strong. Maybe he's purposely going to give you a gift that you're weak at so you can embarrass those that are strong in the world or that are wise in the world because it's clearly the power of God. Sounds like God to me. But are we open to accept and even submit to what he calls us to? And let's not count out the fact that God works in mysterious ways also. He might just surprise you in when and how he reveals his call on your life. Are you open? Are you humble? Our job is to listen when we know we're being convicted by him. When he makes it, you know, super clear, beyond a shadow of a doubt. When he causes three coincidences to happen in your life in 10 minutes 
about the same topic? Only arrogance then can say, oh, no, no, that's not what I saw, which a lot of unbelievers do. But let that not be us. Let's listen, let's walk by faith and not by sight. Let's let him have his way with us. So again, look at 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Do you do that? Do you look at your gift and say, it's not as good as another gift, or start giving like a stratification to the quality of gifts? That's kind of what's going on here. How, how is the body going to hear if you don't do your job? How is the body going to see if you don't do your job? We each fulfill a role so the body is healthy in the church. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. In other words, he knows what he's doing. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And notice verse 28 to our point. God has appointed. God has appointed. In the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a more excellent way. How would the church function if everybody had the gift of healing? Or how would the church function if everyone had the gift of tongues but no one had the gift to interpret the tongues. The church would be floundering around. There would be no unity. There would be uh, empty gaps, if you will, in the church where there's no um, fulfillment of things that need to be accomplished. Again on the board, perspective on spiritual gifts. The gift is the, to the church, the body of Christ. It is a gift to the bride from her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Your spiritual gift is not about you. It is about your benefit to the church for others. And that's basically what we just read. 
in wonderful detail. Go to 1 Corinthians 3.18. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Here's a little bit more of the warning the Spirit gave us on Sunday. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So don't be one of them, basically is what the Spirit's saying. Don't be one of these guys who deceives himself, thinking he's wise, instead of humbling himself before the Lord and submitting to his call. As we know, God gives grace to the humble. Don't try to rationalize your way into a certain gift. It'll bring suffering upon all. Only the humble will not be deceived. As in verse 18, only the humble will not be deceived, including in regard to their spiritual gifts. So we need to step back and look at the big picture. Keep the big picture in mind, okay? Because it's so easy to get focused on self and it's not what I wanted, right? It's not the gift I wanted or the gift I thought I'd be good at or I don't have the confidence to execute this gift. Like Moses, who had a stuttering problem, was called to go talk to the king of Egypt and maybe have his head cut off for challenging the Pharaoh. God takes a weak person and says, watch this, Satan. Let me show you what I can do with them. If you're willing and humble, that's what he does. Big picture. This is about God's glory, not our own. So we need to stop focusing on ourselves and on the board. Let it be of God. Let it be of God. Whatever your gifts are, make sure it's of God. And this on the board, I put this on the board for you. This came out on Sunday morning, but just so you could see it and contemplate it. Pastor said, please, as a member of the body, bride of Christ, for whom your spiritual gift was given, please do not persist in your self-determination, if that describes you. Let it be of God, or you'll be miserable in the end and others will be hurt as well. We must always remember, like everything else in God's plan, spiritual gifts are a function of God's grace alone. Alone. So much better when we just get out of the way and um, can't take any credit for something. Spiritual gifts are a function of God's grace alone. And His grace is His to give, not ours to presume. Again, on the board, this also came out on Sunday. Let it be of God. If you have a certain spiritual gift, you will be confident that God has given it to you. He'll also give you a measure of faith to convict you. Romans 12, 3 part C and 6 part C. We've got a lot of C's coming up, as we'll see. So ironic, huh? All right, go to Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. We really do. We have three verses that we're only going to look at the C part of the verse uh, just to make a certain point. If you have a certain spiritual gift, you'll be confident that God has given it to you. He'll also give you a measure of faith to convict you. Why? Because he's faithful. Because he's good. He's a good father. He's not like, he doesn't want us to be wondering and questioning and doubting our gift and everything. If it's from him, he's going to let you know it's from him. Remember, the Lord is our confidence. Romans 12.1 Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. We just read about that in 1 Corinthians 3. Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So, in other words, the point from the Spirit on Sunday was, God's going to let you know, God's going to give you enough faith to be convicted about your gift, to believe what your gift is, to trust that a gift is from God for you. Verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. Now stop there for a minute. That's uh, verse 6, part C. Look at that last phrase, according to the proportion of his faith. Sounds a lot like verse 3. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So there's a proportion that God saw fit to give you. There's a portion of faith God saw fit to give you. Why not just accept it instead of comparing yourself to others? And this is where the Spirit wants to say, as you look at that phrase in verse 6, according to the proportion of His faith, the Spirit wants to say, don't compare yourself to others who might have the same gift. Your gift is to be operated in a unique way, like nobody else on the face of the planet. Your gift is unique to you, and whatever God wants you to do with that gift, that's what you're to do. To the degree of grace and faith God has given to you. That's what we read here, isn't it? Verse 3, uh, verse 6, look at the beginning of verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Huh. Well, there's only so many gifts, right? But this seems to say there's more variety, we might say. Differentiations among gifts. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. We need to stop looking around at others and simply follow the Lord's conviction upon us. That's it. In verse 7, If it's service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And again, remember the end of verse 6, according to the proportion of his faith whatever he's granted you. So we must receive God's gifts with gratitude and obedience. Again, we must receive God's gifts with gratitude and obedience. Go forward by faith in whatever he reveals to you. It's his plan, not yours. On the board, we've got some more perspective on grace on Sunday. We have zero right to deem God's grace acceptable or unacceptable to us. We are not the standard bearers here. Our only duty is to accept whatever God's grace gives us. If he's giving it, we must receive it also. No thank you is not a godly option. Something to really think about, but... What's our duty? Our, our duty is not to come up with a gift or to fit our way into a gift. Our duty is to accept the God, God's calling on our life, whatever that is. We're the clay, he's the potter. It's the Spirit of Christ who doles out his gifts for his body, for his bride. And once again, whatever gifts he gives us, we are to accept that from his divine wisdom for us. 
He knows what's best for us. He knows maybe to put us in something that we're weak in so that he can shame the strong. And most of all, we are to use our gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. So we're going to close with Ephesians 4, verse 7 onward. Go to Ephesians 4, 7. It's his wisdom we must submit to. He knows all things. Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. There's that word measure again. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So here we see Christ gave gifts to men. Before we saw the Spirit gave gifts. Of course, it's the Spirit of Christ. They're the same God. Look at verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. It hasn't been that been the main point on spiritual gifts so far. It's for the edification of others, not for our own edification. To the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, in other words, if we obey that thing, if we accept our calling, if we use our gifts the right way, as a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. As Paul also said, when going on about spiritual gifts in Corinthians, on the board, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, part C, he said, let all things be done for edification. This was in the context of spiritual gifts. Let all things be done for edification. Our gifts are given to us for the sake of others. Or as verse 16 says in uh, Ephesians 4, for the building up of itself in love. So as we close, just think about this. We must allow the love that Christ showed us to motivate us to live for others. We must allow the love that Christ showed us to motivate us to live for others. Like it motivated Paul. He said, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm pouring myself out for you because I'm so overwhelmed about the love that Christ had for me despite my horrible sins. We must get out of the way and allow the love that Christ showed us to motivate us to live for others. Because that's where the power comes from. We can do all things through his love. It's by that perspective we are to receive and live out our spiritual gifts. And if we receive and live out our spiritual gifts with that perspective, that it's because of the life, love of Christ we're even alive and we're even saved. And therefore, because of that, we love. All we want to do is pass on Christ's love and forget about ourselves. We're going to have a wonderful church, a wonderful body. Um, everyone's going to be fulfilled, so to speak, and bring tremendous glory to God. But we have to get the heck out of the way and let love motivate us. When we stumble is when we don't let the love of Christ motivate us.
when we don't let the love of Christ change us. But if we're humble and we just think about the cross, we can be like Paul. We can be pouring ourselves out in the most beautiful activity we could do in this life before men and angels and bring God tremendous glory. Let's bow our heads. Father, Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us all these scriptures that detail to us how spiritual gifts are to function and how we're to look at our spiritual gifts. We ask, Father, that you help us humbly receive these things and help us submit to your calling upon our lives, to your glory and for the benefit of others. We ask that you bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your Spirit.